Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show. Wake up! With your chance to sound off, give your opinion, and tell us your thoughts. It's on. It's now. It's here. It's the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890. 92.5. KDXU, Southern Utah's news talk leader. After that last show, I'm just so calm and relaxed. No, that, that doesn't work for radio, I don't think, anyway. <laughs> I'm Andy Griffin. Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show here on a cold but sunny morning in southern Utah. And I'm pleased to welcome into the show today. It is, believe it or not, the first Wednesday of the month, even though it is the first day of the month. Every once in a while that happens. And Dr. David Blodgett from the Southwest Utah Public Health Department is here. Doc, thanks for coming. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate you uh, making the trek down from Cedar City, and yeah, it's uh, it's not cold here. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like twenty three here. We got a heat wave because it was like eight or something when you left yeah. this morning in Cedar. It was so. in the negatives yesterday. So yeah, we're, minus two we're in, yesterday. We're in the cold, I think coldness there. <clears throat> the wind chill. Somebody said, "Well, and and when the wind blows in Cedar, it's even colder." I'm like. And when the wind blows, it never doesn't yeah, blow. Exactly, when is that? Yeah. So the the feels like index, you know, with the yeah. takes in the humidity and all that into account, had it down to minus thirty two yesterday. Ooh. So, wow, yeah, it was cold. My parents years ago. This is I don't know three decades ago, two, two and a half decades ago. Uh, went to New Harmony and looked at a property. They were retiring and they were going to move to Southern Utah. Uh, stopped in New Harmony, looked at a property. My dad, to this day, swears it was the only day in history that the wind didn't blow in New Harmony. <laughs> they bought the they bought the piece of land, and every every time they ever visited, and then when they built their house and lived there, the wind blew and blew <laughs> and blew and blew. Yeah, yeah so. well, that's. That's Southern Utah. <clears throat> I I sometimes uh, laugh that uh, the town of Hur- Hurricane or Hurricane is is named after wind. When I I lived in Hurricane, I lived in Cedar City. I can tell you, Cedar City is more windy yeah. than a town named Hurricane <laughs> by, by a bunch. <laughs> but uh, anyway, thank uh, thanks again for for coming on. We're going to talk health a little bit today. Uh, let's start off with uh, uh, a cool story out today about. Uh, the world has more and more centigenarians, people who live to be 100 or older. And in fact, for whatever reason, uh, a lot of them are coming from France. France has a higher life expectancy than a lot of other countries, and they have uh, the most per capita centigenarians of anywhere in the world. And uh, there are various theories as to why, but uh, any thoughts uh, on your side? Yeah, it's interesting. I um they actually did a study where they tried to find these communities where um, people live on average longer. Mm-hmm. They called them blue communities. Blue, okay. So they found a community in Okinawa, Japan. Right. Uh, there was a group in um, in Southern California that were um, Seventh Day Adventists that uh, did well. Hmm. Um, and there was a group in France that that did it, and then um, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints were in that crowd too, because we don't smoke and, and those kind of things. So they tried to identify common factors that would that would impact that longevity, and um, some some of it was uh, some of it you might think of uh, like connectedness, uh, multi-family generations. Mm-hmm. Uh, large social groups or f- emphasis on being connected, you know, into old age and, and the ability to have access to resources as you age. 
some of it was dietary. They they found that most of those communities uh, had a lot of beans in their diet. Really, beans? It seemed to be the common dietary factor there. <clears throat> Not, uh, you know, staying away from smoking, smoking. Uh, no alcohol consumption, things like that in some of them. Sure. Uh, I don't know. You know, France doesn't usually fit that place where you think of people not uh, engaging in yeah. some pretty oh, rich yeah. foods yeah. And, and alcohol and stuff like that. And so uh, it's interesting that the group that they identified there kind of stayed away from that stuff. So, okay. um, uh, But I don't know that there was anything definitive in there other than, you know, some of those things you learn from your mom when you're a kid actually make a difference, right? Yeah, <laughs> Eat your fruits true. and vegetables, maybe get your protein more from beans than from other places. But... Um, I don't. I don't know that that was the ultimate thing. I. It was. It was really interesting to read the stuff of, that we don't necessarily think about, like that social connectedness and and hmm. how we support each other and and uh, I, I think we see that here in our communities too. It's it's if you're not if you're isolated if you're lonely uh, if you don't have that connectedness to to some cause or something you believe in. I think that that has effects on your health too. There's uh, uh, several articles I've read about people, end of you know, guys that were say a pastor on, for a hospice or, or whatever, uh, and and he said, not one person has told me as they near the end of their life, man, I wish I had made more money, or I wish I had made that great business deal, or I wish I had taken over some company or whatever. It's always. Man, I wish I had spent more time with my family. I wish I had done more for my kids or my grandkids or my great-grandkids. I wish I had been a better husband or wife. That's the kind of stuff. Served more in some yeah. capacity in the community. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, and, and it's funny because we think of those things. We think, well, that, that gives more meaning to life, but it actually can give more life. Yeah. Too. I mean, you, you, like you were just saying, people are living longer because they have that kind of thing, a lot of them. So you, you want to know the most consistently documented thing that contributes to long, long life? What's that? Number one on the list, on every list. Nobody ever thinks about it. <laughs> Whether or not you're married. Really? Yep, adds years to your life. Believe it or not. So, so if you lose a spouse when, say, you're both in your 60s, uh, you are more likely to to uh, have a shorter life yes. than if you are able to. You and your spouse are both still alive, and hmm. if you never marry or something like that. Yeah, some of those are some of the shortest life expectancies. So, wow. uh, on when you look at all the f- underlying factors, not being married is a risk factor for early death. Well, interesting. The last couple of years, notwithstanding, where the, the, the life expectancy has gone down a little bit because of, you know, uh, various factors. Generally speaking, life expectancy has gone up in the last 50 years, uh, left 70 years. Uh, and, and I would think, Dr. Blodgett, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, there's got to be some kind of point where you go, okay, we're living longer, but is the quality of life better? And, and you know, I mean, is there a cutoff? Is there a point where... I mean, I, I'm only 56, but I have back pain and I've got neuropathy in my feet. And so I'm not saying I want to die at all. I'm saying at a certain point, doesn't yeah. that stuff get to be too much? Boy, you know, I, I don't know how you answer that question. I think mm. it's dependent on each person. Every, everyone's thing. different. Yeah. My job is to help it be as good a life as you can that whole time you're there, right? So the, the public health model is if you have a, this graph of your quality of life it stays really really high all the way until you, you die right yeah, <laughs> yeah you drop yeah, off the great. cliff right? fantastic That's the way yeah. not this 
you have things that kind of dig into your health chronically mm-hmm. over the, as you age until you know the last bit is really low quality and you you know you're miserable so that's the idea behind the, the things we talk about is how do you keep people as healthy as possible as long as possible until the end comes so. and you mentioned it's an individual thing but it, you know what do you think of people who they go into a doctor, and doctor says, you know, bad news, you have uh, terminal cancer. Now, we can extend your life by a year or six months or two years or whatever if we do surgery and chemo and radiation. What do you think of the people that go in and say, you know what, I'm good. I don't want any of that. I just want to, to treat it the best way I can holistically and just, just live my life, the rest of my life, the, uh, the way I can. What does the medical industry think about that? Um. There's this concept amongst all the concepts we talk about in medicine. So there's the, you know, non-malfeasance where you do no harm, you know, right, Hippocratic sure. Oath and stuff like that. One of those, one of those principles that you, they ingrain in you early in medical school is, is the idea of autonomy and that people have the right to choose what happens to their own bodies and, and uh, you can't force people to do things that you know that they don't want. So, you know, that gets into the idea of do not resuscitate orders and, you know, right. and, 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 and uh, other things that you can do to kind of let people know what your wishes are and, and, and things like that. I, 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 I honor and respect that right. I think everybody has the, should have the ability to, to meet life on their own terms and death on their own terms and, and be, you know who's to decide what's better if you an extra year with a lot of medical stuff feeling terrible maybe or yeah. you know shorter time but you have really good quality of life so you can say goodbye to people i i i think again everybody that's that's an individual choice and i i i'm i'm grateful that they have that that as one of those kind of core characteristics we look at in medicine as as something that we should honor i sometimes i think people get a little uppity and, and high on their high horse saying well you have to do this and yeah. i don't think forcing helps much for anything so. a, a young doctor though you know out of med- medical school maybe five ten years practicing his urge is i've got to save this person's life yeah. i've got to make his life last as long as i can because that's what i do i'm a doctor i save lives yeah. uh, it's probably got to be kind of hard for I, some of those I, guys i remember having that ethics course where they would present scenarios to us mm-hmm. and uh, ask what their proper course was and and when when it was you know they have the right to choose i'd like not get a transfusion or something because they their belief system was they didn't want a transfusion i remember some of the some of those medical students sanctimoniously saying wait i would treat them because you know (laughs) and you Mm -hmm. that that's that's not wisdom that's not you know and so when you're young and brash you uh you need to understand some of the ways of the world. But. <clears throat> Good point. I have, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a friend, um, an acquaintance really, uh, that had some kind of cancer in her in her leg. And I, I don't want to get any more specific because I don't want to, you know, sure. anybody know who it is. But uh, she had she had two cancers and, and she went in for surgery on the one. Uh, but she was pretty adamant going in. I don't want my leg operated on. I'll, I'll just deal with that the best I can. Well, while they had her under, they went ahead with permission from her husband to operate on the leg too. Mm. Uh, when she woke up, she was mad. She was she was mad because she never gave permission for them to do it, even though her husband did. Uh, and uh, you know, I don't know any more details other than the general story of it. But uh, it's one of those 
it's one of those deals, like you said, young doctors, they, they hey, I can fix you. I can yeah. save it. I can make it better. And, and it's hard. It's not that, you know, I'm, she would have a lawsuit there, I think. I don't know. It depends on, with the husband giving consent, that's a different, I don't know how that works. But, yeah. uh, but you, that is one of those, uh, one of those autonomy over your destiny is, yeah. is a f- pretty fundamental right. So, all right. We're, yeah, we're talking uh, again. The ability to have our decisions made. My my wife. We kind of disagree on this point. She said, "If I get to a point in my life where I can't live without a machine, if a machine is helping to keep me alive, she's like, I don't want that. Yeah. Turn turn it off, unplug it, whatever. I'm good to go whenever I go." And I'm like, "Well, honey, I want you around as long as I can." I'm sorry, I say it, don't spray it. But I was, honey, I want you around. Uh, and and uh, so we've actually had, and usually the discussion ends with, well, we'll talk about it more later. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> we haven't arrived at a good answer. Well, and I, you know, maybe the maybe the take home message is make sure people know what you would want. Yeah. You know, if you're out and they don't know, it tends to favor extra intervention and you know mm. longer <laughs> times before you get a chance to make that known. And so I. Uh, if you have a chance to put a living will in, in order and a power of attorney and all that stuff, it's it's a good idea. <clears throat> need to do it. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I think, too, like you said, it's really down to every individual case. I mean, if, you know, if, if your brain, if there's if you've had a, a, a traumatic brain injury and there's no brain activity and the machines are literally keeping you alive, then I, I would probably agree with her. Say, yeah. yeah, well, let's turn off the machines and move on. Uh, but. You know, if you say you have to have oxygen and that's it, you know, but you've got brain activity and you're otherwise fairly normal, then I would be like, no, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and you can specify all of that, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's all, it's a pretty fan, standard format, but it allows you to be pretty specific in what you would want and not want. So. All right, let's uh, change topics real quick here. We've got Dr. Blodgett here from the Southwest Utah Public Health Department. This one, I think, is very apropos for right now. Uh, this uh, story came out today. Uh, U.S. Surgeon General says 13-year-olds, 13 years old, rather, is too young for children to be on social media. Experts like Texas Tech professor Eric Rasmussen says it can be detrimental to a child's development and ability to regulate emotions. He studies a link between social media use and mental well-being and says even adults have a hard time regulating their emotions online, so we can't expect kids to be good at doing that. Dr. Rasmussen has says parents need to talk to their kids about what they see on TikTok, Instagram, and other social medias. Uh, I don't want to, you know, get the pulpit out and, and preach, you know, don't let your kids be on the on the machines, but it's pretty pretty cut yeah. and dried. Yeah, I from a number of different models, you know, we but it's so ubiquitous yeah, <laughs> and so hard. You know, we, we ran in as parents, we ran into the problem of, well, we wanted our kids to be able to contact us and call us and stuff, you sure. know, and then they know how to get around all of the, the metering things you yeah. can put on there. And so you, you end up in this dilemma of, well, how do I, do I, con- do I want the ability to contact them or not? I mean, there's just all these different aspects of this, but they've shown, you know, you dopamine is the pleasure center in the brain and uh, various things stimulate that dopamine in various levels but it's all centered around that so when you when you talk about addictive things like you know 
cocaine or drugs or whatever, those yeah. that has a, a dopamine stimulating effect. And then even caffeine and nicotine, all of it, you know, it has some component of that. Uh, but then there's social and, and things that are dopamine triggered as well. And so really, it's that constant feedback of of reaction, positive response, the, the you know games and social media, all that give you that really puts you on this string of dopamine hits, right? Yeah. That um, that really kind of short circuits the hard work of. <laughs> of self-discipline and you know so rather than Mm -hmm. having a a hard conversation with your parents you retreat and go into that world where the dopamine's there without having you know so the dopamine serves a purpose right it it rewards you for accomplishing things and that that has a a a long-term purpose but we've short-circuited that with so much in our lives where there's such immediate feedback and such immediate gratification Mm -hmm. that it's really hard to 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 learn the skills necessary to take a take a step back and uh you know navigate society and life and all of the things that happen because you're so used to the easy fix and it's so easy to turn to that instead of of uh working through the issues that you need to work through so. are, are they putting out is public health putting out a recommendation for when we should let our kids or grandkids <clears throat> get into that stuff i mean i have I have a sister uh, whose son has been socially, me- social media-wise, game-wise, been playing with an iPad or a phone since he could, you know, conceivably understand what he was doing. Yeah. You know, he's 10 now. Two but or three he, or something. Yeah, yeah, seven, eight years he's been on these things. And I can't criticize her because my, I was lucky enough, my kids mostly grew up before it really hit. Yeah. Uh, you know, my, my youngest right now is 19. And, and, and so for me, I, I didn't, yeah, I had to deal with uh, texting was the big thing. when My kids were teenagers. My, my, my younger four were all teenagers. They were really into texting. So I didn't have to deal with as much of the, certainly not TikTok, TikTok, but you know, Instagram and all these other ones that they get the dopamine, the instant yeah. feedback from, but uh, yeah, do, do they yeah, recommend I, any kind of age? Or? You, you see, you see all kinds of recommendations, but I think the bottom line is, even for adults, <laughs> hmm. it you, you got to be cognizant of it, right? And so, yeah. I, I think this article is saying, you know, thirteen or fourteen is too young. I, 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 I don't know that there's a scientifically defined range, but yeah. um, you know, so maybe maybe that's a cutoff. I. I, I I, I don't. I haven't seen that study or anybody trying to attempt to define that. They just recognize that it has pretty, pretty severe impacts and blunting of this of your social capacity when you're when you're that young and that that uh, able to really retreat from the world in this artificially created scenario. <laughs> I remember one time we were watching a movie at my house, uh, Netflix, or I don't know. We were watching it uh, on cable and. Uh, the, so somebody in the movie said the F word and I was, I, I, you know, at the time I had two or three teenagers in the house and, and, uh, I was, I was a guy. I was like, Oh, I'm sorry about that. You guys, I didn't mean, you know, and they're like, dad, chill. We hear that in middle school. We hear that 20, 30, 50 times a day. Yeah. Don't worry about it. I and I couldn't believe it. I was like, well, I mean, I know those can be rough environments and that is just a word. Right. But still I was, I was stunned. Yeah. Yeah, I. You want to to have an impact on your kids, but you realize um, a lot of that external environment has an impact too, and you have yeah. to 
have to make sure you they understand what your values are and what they want them to be uh, but part of it is the decisions they make and what they decide is going to be right for them and it's a hard part of parenting, I think. Yeah. Maybe the hardest. I don't know. <laughs> For sure. You know, the, 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 the funny thing is sometimes I go, okay, if if we work so hard to rate movies and, and uh, you know, NC-17 and, and PG-13 and all these, we work so hard now, there's labels on, on record albums, music, you know, and video games have a have a label on and 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 yet if they can go to middle school and hear and see and feel those things, I sometimes go, what, what's, yeah, what's, what's the, the point of having yeah. all these ratings? You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it just seems like, well, we tried, but we lost. I, I don't know. And I, I think you can help process that for kids. They can, they can understand how to put that into context for themselves. But, um, but they, again, if they're, if they're stunted because they don't know how to, you know, think about anything other than their phone, that creates difficulties in trying to help them ferret what's true and not and what you believe and don't believe. Did, what was the policy in, in the Blodgett household? I, I can tell you mine first. We we tried very hard and we were successful until our last child of not letting them have a cell phone until they were 16. We felt like once they started driving, they needed to have the ability to call us at any time if something went went wrong with their vehicle, especially our daughters. Uh, but at, at one point, we got rid of our home phone and uh, this one was when my youngest was maybe 13 or 14. We got rid of our home phone, and so we got a, a, a an extra cell phone line that was to remain at home all the time and be like the home phone in case, you know, we, we needed to get a hold of someone at home. And unfortunately, our 13 or 14-year-old daughter said, oh, I guess this is my phone now. Yeah. And she started carrying it everywhere. But So our policy, I think, was was good. The intent was good. I actually had my son sign contracts. You know, you will do this, this, and this. And it included uh, parking your phone at night, you know, plugging it in the, in the, in the kitchen, in a charging station. Uh, and I feel like we did a pretty good jo- job. But at the same time, uh, you know, we, we let things slip through the cracks. Yeah, I wish I could say we were models of something better than, <laughs> but it it just it creeps in on you, and it's just yeah. so convenient to have them be able to contact you. You know, I mean, I'm, when we were kids, you had to carry quarters around with you and try and find a payphone, and uh, <clears throat> and now <clears throat> you can know where they are <clears throat> and have a good idea what they're up to, which I think is valuable too. So there's all these balances that are really. It's really difficult to well, know how to manage that. And it's been said, these things aren't inherently evil. Having a cell phone isn't inherently evil. Even social media is not inherently evil. There's a lot of good things that can come out of that. Unfortunately, there's yeah, there's also a lot of bad things, yeah, too. It's, and, and maybe that's the task for this this next generation is to learn how to moderate that enough that they can still function in life. You know, there, there's a lot mm-hmm. of uh, spectrums, you know, and little bits okay maybe even a little bit good and and a lot of it's bad on a lot of things we do right and so maybe this is just the next generation this just seems a little bit extra pervasive and a little more difficult to to deal with for the young kids so talking health today with dr david blodges from southwest utah public health department Uh, we're going to take a break 
When we come back, we've got more uh, on the docket. We're going to talk a little bit uh, about, uh, well, the, again, uh, uh, there's uh, eye drops out there that are causing infections. Uh, I haven't uh, briefed the doc on this. We'll get his opinion, though, on that and other uh, items of health. And we'll take your phone call. 673-5890 is the phone number. And if you would like to text into the program, 435-467-5842. Welcome back, seven or excuse me, nine thirty-seven on KDXU. Andy Griffin with you. First Wednesday of the month means it's Doctor Blodgett Day. Thank you, Doc, for coming on today. It's Appreciate great you to being be here. here. Thank you. And also, I never really did thank you for the. Let's uh, see, I got it up on the wall yeah, there. Yeah, I saw that. Friend That's of Public cool. Health Award given to me by your department. Well deserved. So. Very cool. I appreciate that. Uh, and I, I, I mean, I do take seriously the idea that, you know, we have a pulpit here where people listen and we can get out messages that need to get out there. Yeah, so. well, and, and the unvarnished version, right? There's no yeah. commercial. Or, we, we don't <laughs> or have. There's no reason for them other than that's just what we're trying to get out as a yeah. good health message. I've had some people say to me, well, Blodgett works for the government. So he's, he's just he's, he's towing the government line. And like, not really. No, yeah. his his job is to try to keep the people in the southwest Utah area healthy. I yeah, that's your I, job. I, I don't know. You hope you earn some chops by being willing to call shots the way they really are, but uh, some people don't want to hear it no matter what you say. So. <laughs> well, I think you did a good job navigating us through COVID. Now, they're talking about finally lifting the emergency that is COVID, yeah. uh, but then I was reading a thing today that said, yeah, that will, the official state of emergency for COVID will lift on May 11th. I'm like, May 11th? It's January. Yeah. I'm now February now. Exactly. Why, exactly. why are we waiting so long? Got to make sure. Never mind. Um. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, just real quickly, I mentioned the uh, eye drop thing. Apparently it is, what do they call them? Something tears, artificial tears created by a, a certain company they found a possible link uh, with bacterial infection with these uh, uh, artificial tears made by Esri, E-Z-R-I. I'm not saying don't buy those, don't use those. I'm just saying do your homework on those. Yeah, well, I mean, things happen in the manufacturing process to where you can get contamination in there. And so there's hmm. there's recalls probably daily on certain project products, and it's not a bad idea to – you can get – you can get uh, texts on those, and <clears throat> they'll tell you things that uh, the FDA has ordered recalled or whatever. And so, uh, this is an example of one that's probably a little more dramatic. You, you're using eye drops to wet your eyes a little bit, and then all yeah. of a sudden you get a flaming case of conjunctivitis or something. But um, That'd be awful. Yeah, yeah, I haven't, I haven't read the specific one, but uh, just you know, we 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 have such a wide range of good safe products that are you don't even you know necessarily think about it and these and these consumer protections that have put in put in place by various organizations that go a long way to making life a whole different game than it was yeah. you know and so I'm, I'm glad there's there's the capacity to to keep that um up and running like that all right i wanted to talk a little bit about cpr now you guys remember damar hamlin he was the uh, athlete that played for the Buffalo Bills that made a seemingly routine 
tackle in that football game, Monday Night Football. Was uh, I think it was a month ago today, or a month ago yeah. yesterday, or whatever. And and uh, he had a heart attack. And actually, well, I mean, by definition, he passed away right on the field. Now, fortunately, the training staff recognized what was going on, gave him CPR, uh, not once but twice to get him uh, get his heart beating again. But uh, Demar Hamlin has started this, uh, has really thrown his weight behind. This program called Three for Heart. Three for Heart is urging folks, number one, to learn CPR, number two, to donate to the American Heart Association to fund awareness, and number three, challenge people, three of their, three of your friends, to also learn CPR. Now, I remember way back when, I can't remember if it was one of my first places I worked or, or I was in college, but uh, we were taught CPR. We even got certified in CPR. Uh, but that was in nineteen, like nineteen eighty-seven or something. Things have changed since then, Doctor. Can you explain CPR to us? What is expected? Uh, what does certified mean versus just knowing how to do it and not certified? And let's let's kind of go over the basics of of CPR. Well, the the idea is that when the heart stops, uh, mm-hmm. you can. It, it, sometimes it's just temporary, right? Particularly if there's some sort of out external event that caused the heart to stop. So, okay. you know, there's a you get electrocuted, or you know, right? Yeah, in in cases where somebody's heart is fundamentally damaged, like a heart attack or something, it's it's harder. But you, but but getting them to to higher levels of help is what it's all about. So it's changed over the years. When I did it, it used to be the old uh, 10 and 2 or 10 and Mm -hmm. 3 where you do 10 pumps and then you breathe. Most of the time, though, they say don't worry about the breathing, which is interesting. Uh, There are some circumstances where they would want you to do that. But mostly it's about uh, finding that proper space to two two finger widths up from the sternum and pushing it about a rate of about 100 beats per minute. And uh, if you can keep enough movement of the blood uh, until more help can get there or until they revive, uh, it's possible to save somebody's life. Um, So I think, though, the emphasis has been and should be on, you know, it's okay to know what you think what you know what you're doing but but a little bit of training goes a long way right so it's yeah. not a long training to be cpr because a lot a lot of us are like and, oh yeah i saw it on tv i can yeah, do that yeah, exactly uh but it's more complicated and there's some subtleties to it that are it's really helpful to have somebody that has really done that uh professionally to, to give you some insight and mm-hmm. so it's a it's it's easy cheap um and you can, you know, find them. And I think online there's CPR class locators, and just having a little bit of training can can really help you. I I I, I try and do my CPR training every year just to make sure I'm current. So 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 all right. Let, let's start. Uh, if we come across someone who is unconscious, first thing we need to do is determine if they need CPR. So what do we do in that case? Well, you can you can feel for pulse. Okay. Sometimes that's trickier than you want it to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it can be. Uh, you can also see if they're breathing. You know, and so it's it's more helpful to have seen what happened to them. You know, so you have a sense and, and sure. you know how. I mean, it, it it's not long before not breathing gets you in a whole lot of trouble. Five minutes, right? I yeah. Mean, so if you're if you're just coming across somebody and they're not breathing. Um, it's been very very much time at all. There's probably not much help that you can do. But if you see it, 
So you can always do that basic assessment. Are they breathing? Are they it's the ABCs, right? What's their yeah. airway look like? Are they breathing? And what's their circulation like? And uh, uh, I, it's not very common to have this happen, right? And so you never know how you're going to perform in the pressure sure. of the moment. Sure. And I think that's where a little bit of practice goes a long way and at least understanding what's there. Choking can be a common way to get there and you know understanding the heimlich maneuver i think is part of that continuum of, of good things to know especially if you're a parent of young kids right yeah so. <laughs> they're, always, they're always sticking something down up their <laughs> nose some, or down their throat something or something that's always yeah. stick somewhere i um i don't think i don't think it's something that you'll regret knowing and uh, it, it would be something that if more people could do it i think we would be we'd be better off so a couple of years ago, maybe it's been a decade, I don't know, they, they said, well, you don't really need to do the, the breathing. You don't have to blow into their mouth anymore. Uh, really just the, doing, doing the, the palpitation, the, you know, doing, pushing on the chest is the key part. Why did they say that? And is that something we all should be, okay, good, we don't, I don't have to do the mouth-to-mouth anymore? I think the reality is, I mean, most people don't realize that when the heart stops, it's a pretty significant thing, right? The sure. heart is designed to keep going. And so um, for most people, if they're not breathing, um, there's there's a pretty significant reason that that happened. And it's it's not really helped by, by the mouth-to-mouth part of that. Uh, just trying to, if the heart's stunned or there's something temporarily, you know, impacting the heart that you can fix... That, that, that can fix itself right itself then that's where the cpr can come in or if you can get somebody there but uh it, it's not universal not to do the breathing but it seems more and more the direction is it just doesn't seem to help and so it's one of those kind of counterintuitive things that once you really do a study on it and you look at the actual data you figure out wow that didn't really do much good which is hmm. an interesting part of science that i I'm always surprised by is the things you think are true sometimes just mm-hmm. aren't when they actually look yeah. at it from a, a true on-the-ground perspective. So so the idea then is if we get their heart beating again, they would breathe yeah, on their own. They, it, they'll it do it on their own. Yeah, it wouldn't really matter that we were blowing breaths in there. Yeah, it gets in that airway thing. Most of the time it's something in their airway, and if you can clear that out, you know, they're choking or something like that, that'll do a lot more than... And it, I think they've had problems, too, with people pushing things further in, right? Because oh, they didn't quite check enough. And right, there's there's right. gum in their mouth or something. And, Good point. And they block things worse. Than, and so so where the, the, the drive to breathe is, is so deep and, and, and fundamental that if it's not happening, there's, you know, it's, it's maybe not going to happen that it mm. works. So. What, about, what about drowning victims? Um, you know, it seems like because of the nature of drowning in a pool, they have a lot of success with with CPR yeah. and bringing people back. But then you go to, say, the ocean or a lake and, you know, somebody who's been without oxygen for more than three or five minutes, it's, yeah. it's pretty much it's, not going to happen. Really but does, does CPR change then for a drowning victim versus someone else? I think so. Um, and trying to get that water out of their lungs. But, but again, it's getting the water out of the lungs more than yeah. the trying to breathe for them part that I think makes the difference. And, and if their heart has temporarily, you know, stopped because of that, you know, giving them some, some push, some CPR, some chest compressions uh, can, uh, again, stimulate them to where they need to be. But, um, 
the other part of that is cold. So it's cold part of year, right? So there's this saying in emergency medicine that they're not dead until they're warm and dead, right? So if they're mm. super cold, you can, you know, you, mm, your metabolic point. processes really shut down a lot. And so people can be without oxygen a little longer and, and, if and still do okay. If they're hypothermic almost. If yeah. they're hypothermic. So, mm. so you, uh, that's something to keep in mind. My sister-in-law's husband had a heart attack. Turn my mic up a little. Had a heart attack and uh, was doing yoga early in the morning. She heard a thump. She went downstairs, found him laying there, uh, administered CPR, but it, it didn't work. He he died. Uh, is that does that kind of fall into the area of well, their heart has been damaged? Yeah, and I I think we we've watched enough TV that we you know we think that. And CPR is going to work every time. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and the, yeah. And the numbers are actually pretty, pretty small of the numbers that hmm. get helped. I, I think it's definitely worth trying and stuff. But I, I, I actually, my wife had an instance where she, you know, did CPR on somebody and revived him enough to make it to the hospital, and he still died at the hospital. Wow. And uh, it, it's just if your heart is damaged and so badly damaged that it stops beating, there's a reason, right? And it's, it, it's hard to. It's hard to fix that, you know, and 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 so I I I I know she went through this moment where she was like, oh, I did everything right. Why didn't Why didn't he make it? Sure, you know, yeah. and, and, and the were. truth is that you're giving them a fighting chance with the CPR, but that doesn't change the underlying problem if there is one that caused that, right? So. Um, uh, so I'm not, it's not a, it's not to discourage CPR. It's just to put a reality check on. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I think one study was 12% of the time CPR saves somebody, you know, one in eight, Yeah, which so, is worth a try. Right. Right. It is definitely worth, <laughs> worth doing and things like that. But, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, things have happened in that person's life that got them there that just make it so it's not, you can't recover. So. I'm a big fan of the TV series MASH. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, there's a couple of things they would do, adrenaline to the heart, and the other one was uh, open-heart massage. Are those any better than CPR? Do well, they I'd help? Get, I mean, there are things you can do in a hospital that are different than you can do. But mm-hmm. even even in a hospital when you have a code, you know, the, yeah. the rates of success of recovering it from those are not very high. It's, really? Once the heart stops, even if the doctor's standing right there, yeah, yeah. When you have the code and everybody running in and you're pumping mm-hmm. machines and yeah. you know shocking and all that stuff, once the heart is is uh, stopped like that, it, you know, unless there's some sort of a trigger that's external to the mechanism of the heart, it's uh, it's hard to recover from that. So. so definitely worth learning CPR. No, I'm not saying don't. <laughs> absolutely. Worth learning, worth having that under your knowledge belt. It's an easy course, you know, a couple hours, one morning. You know, I, I think even if you have to pay for them, they're very cheap and uh, yeah. certainly a service that uh, is valuable in the community. I hope everybody takes advantage of it. Just don't be too depressed if you try it and it ultimately doesn't win right. the day. Right. So, all right, commercial break. We'll be back with more with Dr. Blodgett. It's 951. This is Mark Levin, and you're listening to The Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890, 92.5 KDXU. Stay tuned to KDXU for my show at 6 p.m. today. Welcome back. I'm Andy. Thank you, Mark, for the 
uh, introduction. Uh, Dr. David Blodgett is with me today. And again, uh, I hope we didn't come across, in, 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 you know, giving people the impression they shouldn't bother learning CPR. That is Yeah, that not was not all. the message no. I was trying to send. I, I, uh, <laughs> nope, I think everybody should do it. Very important. You could save important a life. Important part of, of understanding for life, so... Yeah, let's save a life. Uh, by the way, it is, uh, what, National Heart Month, right? Yeah, it is National Heart Month this month. I think it corresponds with Valentine's Day, right? Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> that's your heart is not shaped so like So think that, of your though. heart. <laughs> Still the number one cause of uh, death in the country. Heart disease. Heart disease yeah. by far, still. Uh, two-thirds of men and a half of women will have some sort of heart disease over the course of their lifetime. So wow. it's by far the most common uh, ailment two thirds of men mm-hmm. that means if we brought a third guy in here two of yeah, us would get two it of us would have something <laughs> oh, and so so you know we we get all excited about things but we forget the the big things right and so yeah. things you can do to protect your heart are really important and that it gets back to all that boring stuff that nobody wants to hear me talk about but you know exercising a little more eating a little better <laughs> yeah getting good sleep all of those things that we've been talking about so but heart uh, heart disease, it's uh, it is the central part of what we should be thinking about if you want to you know live that longer, healthier, better life. So, a couple of texts. Someone asked about the COVID and flu shot. Will there be a combination of the two in the future, uh, or just be given together? Or any thoughts on that? I think that's an interesting question. I think one of the consequences of um, of the emergency declaration going away is that the federal government will now no longer pay for COVID shots. And they're not even actually FDA approved like you would have to have to be a shot. So so one, some of the companies, one or more of the companies will have to go through the process of actually going through all the steps to get that FDA approved. And that'll take a while. Um, I, I don't, I see, unless they just decide to ignore the rules, which they've done repeatedly, you know, <laughs> through COVID. So I, I don't yeah. know what that looks like. I, I actually think that probably will be where it ends up. You know, the, the COVID is an upper respiratory tract infection, just like flu. It, you know, it changes somewhat, you know, from year to year. So I, we might end up with a kind of a COVID flu joint shot uh, that we do every year. But I don't know that that's... For sure, nothing's nothing's out there, and nobody's proposed it yet. But I, I just, I it's, it seems to me like that's probably how this will go. Will, <clears throat> excuse me, will so the flu shot is covered by most insurances. Will yeah. do you think it'll get to the point where, uh, even though the COVID shot might become expensive, at least insurance will cover most know. of it? I, mean, I hope so. That the talk is that when when the emergency use authorization is done, that. And so that the federal government's not paying for the COVID shots, that they'll be about 130 bucks each. You know, so that's pretty steep um, in the realm when we, you know, most flu shots are 25 bucks or 30 or something, depending on where you go. So, yeah. so I think uh, it'll be interesting to see where that falls out over time. All right. He's Dr. David Blodgett. Uh, doctor, anything else on the calendar we need to be aware of? I know, like I said, National Heart Month. No, no. I I think we, you know, we have been tracking COVID, flu, and RSV rates this year, and they've all dropped down significantly now. So we're, yeah, it seems like just a month. Ag- on. Seems like a month ago, six weeks ago, we were worried about the triple demic. Yeah, yeah. It's kind well, of faded, huh? You know, two of those we have every year, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that triple thread exactly was other than it's a cool. respiratory tract infection type <laughs> yeah, it sounds cool triple yeah, I, I guess so, so. 
He's Dr. Blodgett. He's on every first Wednesday on the Andy Griffin Show. I I admire him. I think he's a smart guy. Nah, the smartest guy I know. So. You are too. Thank you, Andy, for having <laughs> me here. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow, Chris Hart. <clears throat> Excuse me, Chris Hart from Ivan City is on. We'll talk about what well, he got to be on. Uh, I think it was Channel Four. He got to be on TV recently, talking about water. We'll talk about that tomorrow on the Andy Griffin Show. Thanks for listening.